Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, as we come to this important time in our gathering where we open up your word and, Father, seek to learn, seek to be challenged, encouraged, convicted. Father, whatever it is that you want to do in us through your spirit as he penetrates our hearts with your word. Father, that's what we want to happen. Father, we want you to work deep inside of us. Father, the root of all of our problems and issues in life is a problem of our hearts. It's a problem of sin. And and the only antidote is your grace applied to us through your word that speaks to us as your Holy Spirit illuminates our our hearts and minds to receive your truth. And so, Father, we need you in this moment. We need you. Be with us. Work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning about building a foundation of praise, reason to rejoice in trials from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. As you're turning there in your Bible, um, anytime you build a house, what do you, what do you start with? You start with the foundation, that's right. You always begin with the foundation. Everything else rests on this foundation. And the ability of a house to withstand the storms of life that are going to come that way, uh, no matter where you live, that house is going to face some storms. The ability to withstand those storms has a great deal to do with the foundation. That's why we put so much time and energy into making sure that foundation is right. It's not just those Big, huge storms of life, and we've had a few of those um, that have uh, blown through here in the past few weeks. Uh, But it's also those small movements as that house begins to settle. It's those daily tiny things that just pile up over time that can cause that house to settle. And if that foundation isn't good, it's not a firm and solid foundation, then we'll see the effects as we see those uh, cracks begin to show up in that sheetrock. And, uh, and some of you know what I'm talking about. As Peter writes this letter to those he has called elect exiles, which means they belong to God, but they don't belong to this world, he knows, and he knows even firsthand from his own life, how difficult life can be in this world, especially for Christians. Especially for Christians. And he writes this letter to encourage the believers to stay true to Jesus and true to the mission to which he's called them amidst the trials they're facing and that they will continue to face. He wants to build them up in their faith. And so like every good builder, he begins with the foundation. And as we see in verses 3 through 12, the foundation which will help the believers face the trials of life is praise for God our Father who has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to rise again. And through Him, God has given us a great and awesome and everlasting salvation. The foundation for our lives as we face the trials of life is none other than praise. And so this morning, we're going to look at verses 6 through 9 of First Peter. But I want to start in verse 3 as I read 
just to give us some context, and I'll explain why in just a moment. So we're going to read verses 3 through 9, and then we're going to focus our time this morning on verses 6 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, that passage is hard to read without running out of breath. And I explained why that is last week. In fact, verses 3 through 12, even beyond what we just read, is one sentence in the original language. It's one long, complicated, run-on sentence, um, just complicated grammatically. Uh, but the truths are fairly straightforward. And, and it's, it's not just a long sentence, but it is a sentence that contains massive amounts of incredible truths about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Incredible information and truths about us as people and specifically as followers of Jesus. Incredible truths about the salvation that God has blessed us with. Incredible truths about how we live out that salvation on a day-to-day basis. And incredible truths about what is promised to those who are in Christ. Our eternal home, our eternal destination, heaven. And so we're going to look at this uh, at this. Uh, a passage that is centered on praising God, building a foundation of praise. And we began that last week looking at verse 3 through 5, and we said this, that we should praise God for giving us new life. Today, in verses 6 through 9, we want to say this, we should praise God for giving us reason to rejoice in trials. We should praise God for giving us reason to rejoice in trials. A key theme of 1 Peter is suffering. It's a key theme. I did a quick little word count, and and there are two different words in the original language that are then translated into English as suffer or suffers or suffering or sufferings. And one of those words pops up 12 times in 1 Peter, and the other word pops up four times in 1 Peter. 16 times we see the word suffering used in a fairly short letter. It's a key theme in 1 Peter. He's writing for a very particular reason because he's writing to a very particular audience. He is writing to Christians who are facing trials and sufferings in their life. The life of an exile is one that is truly filled with sufferings and trials and if we are followers of christ we are exiles in this world this world is not our home and we will face opposition and there will be struggles that we go through but not only is suffering a key theme of the life of a follower of christ but joy is a key theme of the life of a follower of christ and the paradox of christianity is that they are themes of our lives at the same time It's not that we go through certain times of our lives where we face trials and tribulations and then at other times we face uh, we face joys and things that make us want to rejoice. The truth of Scripture tells us that as Christians, we rejoice in the trials. 
at the same time. Does it make sense to the world why we would rejoice in our trials? And yet, as followers of Christ, we know that we can. And that's what we want to look at today. One writer said it this way, the very experiences that cause them, speaking about these exiles and therefore about us as well, the very experiences that cause them distress because they are Christians should also cause them joy because they are Christians. We experience joy in the midst of trials. I want to share with you this morning five reasons to rejoice in trials from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And all, all five of these reasons can simply be uh, summarized by our salvation. If you can hang on to one truth, we rejoice in our salvation. But Peter gets specific in these verses, and so I want us to be specific as well. Number one, we can rejoice in trials because they are an opportunity to reflect on God's mercy. We can rejoice in trials because they are an opportunity to reflect on God's mercy. I want you to notice how verse 6 begins. In this, you rejoice. Well, if we're reading carefully God's word, we should stop there and go, well, what does this mean? In what do we rejoice? What is the this that Peter is referring to? Well, he's referring to verses five, uh, 3 through 5. He's referring, referring to that new life in Christ that we talked about last week. Just as a, and that's why we read verses 3 through 5 to get that con- context. If you'll scan your eyes back, verses 3 through 5, you see the beautiful salvation that's rooted in God's mercy towards us. We have a hope that is alive. We have an inheritance that is eternal. We have a salvation that is assured all the result of God's mercy, which we find in that passage is great. And Peter says, in this you rejoice. Just reflect for a moment on the great salvation that God has given you. Reflect on the fact that it's the result of his grace towards you, that you don't deserve it, that it cost his son his life, that all of your sin was placed upon Jesus as he hung on the cross. But he's living now. He's risen from the dead. And because of that, we have hope of everlasting life in this you rejoice. So here's what happens. We often forget that. We forget verses 3 through 5. When things are going well in life, it's easy to forget God's goodness and grace towards us. And so trials in our lives provide an opportunity for us to reflect on God's mercy. Because when things in life are going bad, we're looking for something good. We're looking for some good news to hold on to and good news that will never be taken away from us, regardless of the circumstances that we face, is the great salvation, the new life in Christ that we have been given. The fact that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, that truth remains constant throughout all of the trials of life. I know you would probably agree with me. It's been in the trials of my life that I that I actually reflect more upon how much God loves me and the great salvation that he's given me. When things are going well in our lives, it's easy for us to turn our gaze to the things of this world. But trials help us turn our gaze back to God and the great mercy that he has given us. It makes us us long for something more. It makes us long for something better. And the thing that is more, the thing that is better is the great mercy of God. So we can rejoice in trials because it allows us an opportunity. To, uh, next time you go through a trial, the trial that you're facing right now in your life, think about it as an opportunity. Regardless of how difficult it is, think about it as an opportunity 
to be reminded of God's great mercy towards you. Think about it as an opportunity to be reminded that there is more to life than the present suffering that we face. That there is something far greater for those who are in Christ. It is an opportunity for us to reflect on the mercy of God. And when compared to the blessings of salvation, as we face these trials and ask the question, is it worth it to be a follower of Christ in this world? The answer is always yes. We face all kinds of trials, and and we'll see that in just a moment. But the, the, the specific types of trials that Peter is talking about here in this letter are trials that Christians face for being Christians. The persecutions and the sufferings that come with following Jesus in a world that is opposed to him. And as we face those trials, the question is going to pop in our minds. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And yet, as we remember the great mercy of God, the answer that we're left with is yes. Yes, because God's mercy is so great. His mercy through Christ displayed on Calvary's cross. So we rejoice in trials because it's a reminder, it's an opportunity to remember the great mercy of God. But secondly, we can rejoice in trials because they are temporary compared to our new life. We rejoice in trials because they are temporary compared to our new life. Remember, he's, he's, he's continuing to reflect back on the new life that we have. You want to see the phrase there. It's in verse 3. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, that new life in Christ. But notice then in verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Try to put myself in in Peter's shoes as he's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, realizing the people that he he is writing to are undergoing sufferings and sufferings and sufferings that are continuing to pile on them. And so throughout this letter, while we'll see some exhortations and some challenges in this letter on how they're supposed to be living, Over and over again, we have these little phrases, these little hints, these little reminders that there is hope, that there is reason to be encouraged even in our suffering. And that phrase, though for a little while, is a great encouragement when we are going through sufferings. Though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved through various trials. Whenever we go through a trial, it's a reminder that the trials of this life are temporary. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that your trial is going to be brief. In fact, your trial may last your whole life here on this earth. But remember back verses three through five, we are promised an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So your trial may be a long time here on this earth, but compared to the inheritance that lasts For all eternity, our trials are very short. They are temporary. We don't get the wrong idea that, well, I'm just going to have enough faith and God's going to take this trial away from me tomorrow. He may call us to endure until we breathe our last breath. But oh, the glories of stepping into His presence. And those trials being no more for all of eternity. These trials that we face, these trials of various kinds are a reminder that it is just 
for a little while. And compared to our inheritance that lasts forever, well, it's, it is brief. We learn here about these trials, that these trials vary. Notice, notice that it says, are grieved by various trials. We could spend the rest of the day going around this room listing the different sorts of trials that we in this room have experienced. Some of us have experienced trials that are similar to others in this room. Some of you may have experienced a trial that's very unique that not many or or maybe no one else in this room has experienced. But the truth of the matter is life in this world is filled with various trials. All different kinds. They come in all shapes and sizes. Some of them are are small and they last for a day. Some of them are are long and they last for many seasons of life. Some of them come with just a little bit of pain. Some of them come with deep, deep hurt and heartache. These trials are various in their nature. That word various pops up again over in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. And there, it's not our trials that are various but God's grace that is various. God's grace that is various. What a beautiful truth. That though our trials are many in number, God's grace is many. Though our trials come in all shapes and sizes, God's grace comes in all shapes and sizes. And it is sufficient for all the trials in life that we face. We don't just learn that our trials are various. We learn that they hurt It comes with pain. Peter's not sugarcoating the trials. He says, though you have been grieved by various trials, our trials are many in number. They cause intense pain in our lives. But then there's this interesting phrase that says if necessary, that trials are a necessary part of life. In fact, trials are a normal part of living as an exile awaiting a future home. We find this to be the case in Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, Paul is on his first missionary journey where he's beaten. And he's calling people to follow Jesus and they're watching him be beaten for following Jesus. Why in the world would they want to follow Jesus if it leads to trials and persecution? In Acts chapter 14, starting verse 21, it says this, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, all the places that he had been before, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. The Bible does not sugarcoat our lives as Christians. It says through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. This is a normal part of the life of a Christian to face trials. They are various. They hurt, but they're necessary. Why? Because they help prove that we truly are exiles by proving our faith to be genuine. So, so it, it's a reminder that our trials are temporary. When we face our trials, we can remember, hey, this isn't going to last forever. But at the same time, it, there's this other reason to rejoice. And truth number three is this. We can rejoice in trials because they prove that our faith is genuine. They prove our faith to be genuine. We rejoice in trials because they have a purpose. God has a purpose in these trials. He is doing something inside of me when I face trials. He is doing something inside of you, Christian, 
as you face trials. And what he is doing is he is testing your faith to prove that it is genuine. It's genuine. Which leads to confidence. God tests our faith with trials. We see there in this, you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. We'll stop there for just a moment. Chapter 4, verse 19 says this, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Did you catch that? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Interesting phrase. And we'll look at that more in depth when we get to the end of chapter 4. But notice here this, this necessity of faith. Why, why would it be necessary? Well, because it is, it is giving us confidence as we see our faith continue in the midst of the trials. In, in fact, Jesus uses trials... In one of his parables to explain how there are some people who appear to be Christians, but later prove not to be. And there are some who appear to be Christians and later prove to be. Do you remember the parable of the sower and the seed? Matthew chapter 13 says that Jesus told them these things in parables, saying a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there's four types of soil in which the word of God falls. That's what the seed is, the word of God. It's the gospel. Four different types of soil. I want you to notice the rocky soil. It said other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Later in Matthew chapter 13, he gives an explanation of that. And I'm just going to give the explanation of that rocky soil. Verse 20 of chapter 13 in Matthew, he said this, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Compare that to the seed that falls on good soil. Implication meaning that there are some who persevere through the trials of life. What is God doing? He's testing the genuineness of our faith. And what does that lead to? I think it leads to confidence. Confidence not in my faith that, oh, my faith is so good. Oh, my faith is so strong. Oh, I just have such good faith. But faith that I am an elect exile. Excuse me, confidence that I am an elect exile. Confidence in the salvation that God has given. Confidence that I have been given new life in Christ. That I have been born again to a living hope. That I have an inheritance. That I have a salvation that is ready for me on the day of Christ. If you notice the, the analogy that he uses here. He compares... The testing of our faith to the testing of gold. This testing is a purifying process. As gold passes through the fire, the impurities, the things that don't belong, are burned off. And what's left is that pure gold. 
And so that's the same thing that's happening to our faith as we walk through the trials of life. God is burning off the stuff that doesn't belong there. Like God's at work in you right now in the midst of your trial, burning off of your soul the things that don't belong there. Burning off of that faith. Listen, our faith is imperfect. Uh, So often I think about the man who cried out to Jesus, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. What in the world? You just said you believe and now you're saying help my unbelief. But that's the truth. My, My faith is imperfect. Your faith is imperfect. That's why we talk about growing in our faith. Well, how do we grow in our faith? It's often through the trials of life where God is burning off those impurities. The things that the places in our life where we're continuing to hold on to the things of the world, the places in our hearts where we're continuing to trust the things of this world more than God, where we're trusting ourselves more than God. He's burning those things away as we walk through that trial and we realize the only hope we have is God through his son, Jesus Christ. And he's burning those things away. But, but he says something interesting here. We don't want to miss it. We are, our, our faith is being tested like gold, but there's a sense in which our faith is not like the gold. Notice, notice the contrast that he says. More precious than gold. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold. That perishes though it is tested by fire. So in one sense, our faith as we walk through trials is, is like the gold and God's purifying our faith. But in another sense, it's better than the gold. Because no matter how many times you pass that gold through the fire, and even if you could burn every single little impurity off of it, what's ultimately going to happen to that gold? It's going to be gone. The things of this world are passing away. Behold, God is making all things new. No matter how pure that gold gets, it is temporary. It belongs to this world. But our faith does not perish. Our salvation does not perish. It is more precious than gold, though it is refined by fire. Sometimes we have to go through things in life that hurt in order to help us, in order to make us stronger. I think about my time. Um, I was going to say it this way, but then it makes me sound old and cold. But uh, I was going to say, I'm thinking about my, my time as an athlete. Like is in the past, but I guess it kind of is. <laughs> I don't have much time to be athletic anymore. Um, but uh, but my time when when I guess I was an athlete um, and uh, not much anymore. But when I was I ran a lot, and I can remember I can remember the pain and the hurt of running mile after mile after mile preparing for a race. And sometimes at the end, I would be sick and like literally physically sick, and my Bones would hurt and my muscles would hurt and I would ache and I would think, oh my goodness, why am I doing this? But every time my muscles got torn down a little bit in practice, they would recover stronger. And I knew that that pain, that temporary pain was actually preparing me for that race that was coming up. I think that's the idea that Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter has here. I say Paul because Paul often compared the Christian life to a race. And it's very true that the trials of life are hurtful. They bring grief in our lives. And yet God uses them to strengthen our faith. One writer said it this way, the rigors which the athlete has to undergo are not meant to make him collapse, 
They are meant to make him able to develop more and more strength and staying power. In this world of trial and affliction are not in this world trial and affliction are not meant to take the strength out of us, but to put the strength into us. Christian, as you're going through this trial, God is putting strength into you. And as you continue to persevere and trust in him, your faith has proven genuine through these fires of life. Our love for God's great mercy increases. Our confidence and our salvation increases. And our desire to live on mission for Jesus increases. Truth number four. We can rejoice in trials because they provide us with a future reward. Just one simple phrase here, but I wanted to highlight it. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's one of those little little phrases of, of hope, of, of comfort, of encouragement that he gives them at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ is coming back. Again, a reminder, the trials of life are temporary. Jesus is coming back. But what is the testing of our faith that's proving to be genuine going to result in at the revelation of Jesus Christ when Christ returns praise and glory and honor? It's interesting that really he's directing these things to us as Christians, that we will receive praise and glory and honor. Now, he's not trying to steal away the praise and the glory and the honor that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that. There will be praise for us as our faith has endured to the end. There's this element of glory. There's this element of honor when we make it to the finish line, when all the dross of the gold has been burned off. And there we stand before our Savior complete, completed, not by ourselves, but by him who loved us so much, ready to receive this inheritance. What does this praise and glory and honor sound like? Sounds like our Savior saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the praise and the glory and the honor that Peter's referring to. That moment where we stand before him and we realize we've made it. We've made it through the trials of life. And now we can enjoy his presence forever. But of course, that praise and glory and honor that in one sense is directed towards us, all it does is get reflected back to Jesus. Because in that moment when Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant, I don't know exactly what we'll say or if we'll be able to say anything in his presence because it will be so overwhelmed by his goodness and holiness. But if we could say anything, I think the only thing we would say is, I didn't do it, Jesus, you did it for me. All praise and glory and honor belongs to you. Christian, there is reward. And it is seeing Jesus and being welcomed into his presence. And that leads us to the fifth truth. We can rejoice in trials because they help us fix our eyes on the prize. We can rejoice in our trials because they help us fix our eyes on the prize. I want you to notice these last couple of verses. He says this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Now, Peter's making a distinction between himself and the people he's writing to. Peter has seen Jesus. Peter is an eyewitness of Jesus. Peter saw Jesus with his own eyes. He walked with him. He talked with him. 
He ate meals with him. He witnessed the miracles. He heard the teaching. He saw Jesus on the cross. He was rebuked by Jesus and he was restored by Jesus. He saw Jesus, but not the ones that he's writing to. And he says, you haven't seen him, but you love him. That's faith. You do not now see him. You can't see him right now with your own eyes. But you believe in him. That's faith. He's talking to them about our lives as Christians walking by faith. He says, you don't see him. You haven't seen him, but you love and you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And then here's the, the, the result of that faith, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's Peter's looking at salvation as that forward uh, future act where I have been saved. I am being saved. But here he's referring to that moment where I will be saved. When I stand before him and my gaze once and for all is literally physically fixed upon Jesus. Oh, the Apostle John writes about this. He says this um, chapter three of first John, he says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We can sense that level of persecution there. But verse two, beloved, we are God's children now. There's that present salvation. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Here's here's the Christian life where we are walking by faith, not by sight. We can't see him now, so we must live by faith. Peter has seen Jesus, the elect exiles have not. We haven't either, but that doesn't mean that our reason to rejoice is any less than Peter's. He says their rejoicing, their joy is a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. He doesn't say, hey, I've got to see him and so, so my joy is a little bit higher than yours. He says, you, Christian, who haven't seen Jesus with your eyes yet, can know that you are saved, can know the salvation that you have, and you can experience rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory right now as you're looking forward to obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, here's the truth. We can't see him now, so we live by faith, but we will see him one day. That's the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so we rejoice now as we live by faith. It's kind of like this. We get a taste of the prize as we enjoy our salvation right now. That peace in your heart that passes all understanding in the midst of trials. It's a taste of the goodness of God and of the joy of salvation. And we get to taste that right now in the midst of our earthly trials while we look forward to feasting upon that joy in the presence of Jesus when we are in heaven and our faith is finally and completely realized. But today, Christian, we got to walk by faith. Today, in the midst of your trial, tomorrow, in the midst of your trial, you've got to walk by faith. And the trial itself can actually help you fix your eyes on the prize. Because it makes you not want to stay here. It makes you uncomfortable in this world. It makes you remember that this world is not your home. 
It's an act of faith, but it's not blind faith because we know that Jesus died for our sins and is alive today. And thus our hope is alive. Our inheritance is kept in heaven. Our salvation is ready. Our trials are temporary. Our faith will be proven genuine. Our reward is waiting and our faith will one day be sight all because God has shown you and me great mercy through his son on the cross. And so we praise God. No matter what you're going through today, no matter what you will go through tomorrow, we praise God. Praise for God must serve as the foundation of our lives. And we can praise God because he has given us reason to praise himself because he has given us himself. And a great salvation. So when things on your marriage are a little rocky, when you're not seeing eye to eye with your child, when you find out that that job is no longer there for you, when you find out the grades aren't what you needed them to be to make it to that school that you wanted to go to, when you get that call that says come to the hospital and come quickly, Or the doctor walks in and says, I have bad news. Or you're not sure where the money's coming from for the next bill. Or a friend walks away, stops talking, rejects you. Or maybe you're just having a bad day. You just don't feel good. Just those little trials of life. Or maybe someone makes fun of you for not participating in what the world around you is doing. Maybe someone says you're a fool for believing in this Jesus. Maybe someone says renounce him or else. What do we do in those moments? We rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice. Not because we love the trial, but because we love the Jesus that is with us in the trial and that is using the trial for our good and for His glory. Let's pray. Father, help us to put Your Word into practice. Is it easy to say? It's hard to do. Lord, our reaction is often to complain when we face trials. Our reaction is often to say, God, where are you at? Our reaction is often to say, but God, I thought you loved me. Lord, reorient our minds so that we think about the trials of life the way you do. Father, you're using them. And there are opportunities to remember how good you are to us. And this life is temporary. And that, and that you're, you're getting rid of the stuff inside of us that doesn't need to be there, that doesn't bring you honor. And, and Lord, that there's this reward that's waiting when, you, when you, you, you welcome us into your presence one day. Father, fix our eyes on the prize, that prize of eternity. And that land, that home that is ours 
where there's no more tears and no more suffering and no more trials. Because the former things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Father, help us to face our trials in a way that brings you honor and glory and praise. Father, there's someone here today who can't face trials with rejoicing because they don't have you in them. They never trusted Jesus for salvation, so they don't have this salvation to rejoice in. Father, I pray that today that you would convict them of their sin. And as we've talked about the great salvation, as your word has explained the great salvation that we have through Christ, Father, I pray that you would draw their hearts to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus so they can live with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of their faith and the salvation of their souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.